Hello and welcome to our latest SIUC Veterinary Services podcast. Uh, This podcast is a special edition for GB Calf Week and in it we'll be discussing some of the great dairy bred calf research being done in Scotland. Hello everyone and please introduce yourselves. Hi, uh, hello everybody. Uh, My name is Colin Mason. Uh, I'm uh, one of the vets that works with SIUC Veterinary Services um, and I uh, spend a lot of time, I guess, in my day job working with dairy bred calves um, looking uh, on farm at uh, the reasons why we get health problems, the reasons why uh, calves are being lost through uh, our disease surveillance activities, and what we also to do is is kind of extend those disease surveillance activities out into some research into some key areas of importance to calves in our area. So that's some of the stuff I want to talk about today. Hi, I'm David Bell. I'm currently a research associate with the Beef and Sheep Research Team based at Easter Howgate, just outside Edinburgh. The majority of my work, although I work in the Beef and Sheep Team, is really focused on the dairy beef calf and various elements such as the management and health of these calves when they arrive on a rearing unit. Hello everyone. Yeah, my name's Ali Haggerty and I'm a vet working in Southwest Scotland. I spend part of my time in clinical practice here in Dumfries and Galloway, but I also spend a little bit of my time in probably more of a consultancy role. And some of that role involves collaborating with these guys in various CAV-based research projects. And I'm Katie Denham. I work at the University of Glasgow. My area of research interest is uh, colostrum management and neonatal calf health. I have worked in New Zealand and Scotland, publishing lots of papers on this very niche subject. And I'm excited to tell you a little bit about what we're doing in collaboration with SRUC and with uh, commercial vets and consultants in practice. Okay, thank you everyone. It's great to have you all here today. Calf health and research around colostrum is not a new subject. In fact, there's been lots of research over years, in fact, decades. So why is it still necessary? And is there anything new, Colin? Um, I guess first answer to that is... um, more research is always necessary because there's always more to learn and uh, there's even though you think you know a lot about a subject there is new ideas new things to discover and uh, that can help dairy producers on farm and ultimately help calves on farm if we know more about what is going on so it's always good to know more I, I think the other thing that I would say right from the start is any health or production intervention with calves it it just about always comes back to colostrum uh, at the very very start of it. it is so 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 central to everything that then happens to that calf in terms of how well it performs how well it grows what health challenges it might have how well it might respond to those health challenges um, and therefore, given it is such an important area, it is really, really important that we know as much about it as possible. And we're always still learning. We're learning more and more about not only the immune properties of colostrum, but also the nutritional qualities, um, uh, some of the uh, 
perhaps non-specific immune factors uh, that are not related to antibodies in colostrum. We're learning lots of new stuff in general about how colostrum helps carbs right from the very, very start. So whilst it's really basic, it's also really, really important. So some of the stuff that has been done um, as part of these collaborations between SRUC and Glasgow Vet School and, and particularly Stuartry Vets in Southwest Scotland um, has, first of all, for Scotland, it's just looking at the scale of the problem, I suppose, uh, uh, in terms of how many calves uh, actually have issues with a failure of passive transfer. And, and what a failure of passive transfer is, is a calf that... Uh, doesn't receive enough colostrum uh, or doesn't absorb enough colostrum into its system. And that's the critical bit is, is how much it absorbs into its system to help uh, um, protect that calf and manage disease. And we wanted to know just how a Scottish dairy herd's performing um, so that we can feed that back to farmers really. And, and we've done a lot of that in terms of talking to farmers amongst all of us uh, to, to sort of, you know, give a sort of state of, of, of how we're doing. And I guess the, the, the headline figure um, uh, for Scotland from, from all the work that, that Ali's done is that 14% that of calves uh, that were, were tested as part of this study um, had what was defined as a failure of passive transfer. Um, so that's a, a not insignificant chunk of calves uh, that have that issue. I suppose the next question that you think about is, well, so what? You know, uh, it, it, it doesn't receive that colostrum in an adequate way. What's the impact on the calf? And, you know, particularly and, and first and foremost, the impact on the calf will be disease risk. Um, and one of the things that I see in, in my job uh, is, is a lot of the main health challenges that calves experience. Um, they broadly split out into two categories. That is going to be respiratory disease, um, and that is going to be um, diarrhea, enteric disease. Uh, and they really do split out into those two categories. We've, we've reviewed our surveillance data uh, uh, recently for what we see uh, from a lot of carbs that we examine. Um, and, you know, as an example, 614 calves reviewed, over a thousand diagnoses made of different causes of respiratory disease, different causes of enteric disease and navel ill. And those are the real challenges that we face uh, in that these calves are going to be um, uh, at, at significant disease risk. And the other thing that I would say as well is that a lot of the pathogens that we see that are causing these diseases um, and we can diagnose those are what I would say are omnipresent on farms. We can't get rid of them. So you, your common scour pathogens, your common respiratory disease pathogens, to some degree, it actually doesn't quite matter what they are because they're pretty much present on every dairy farm or every calf rearing unit. And, and what we need to focus on more, and, and that's through colostrum really, is uh, you know how we protect those calves, give them more resilience, give them more protection to, to see how, uh, how they then go. Um, We've got a lot of room for improvement. Um, and I think with anything, uh, we need to, to sort of pick up on some of the, the, the easy wins that we can get from this. And, and, and colostrum is absolutely central to that. In general terms, what we've learned through through you know some of the, the wider research through the, the research community is, is, is that what we know is, is that calves that perform well and grow well in their first eight weeks of life in particular, um, then go on to perform far better. Dairy heifers go on to perform far better 
in their first lactation uh, in terms of milk yield. And actually, they're more likely to be able to, to survive and to survive well in their first lactation uh, and into their second lactation. Um, and uh, the national figures for the UK, this is, is some of the scary facts that we've got to face up to, is, is for dairy heifers, 14% um, of our dairy heifers that make it to first lactation don't then go on and make it to second lactation. So we lose them at some point in their first lactation, which is not a good news story for the industry. Uh, and it's something that we really need to focus on because there's a huge amount of uh, welfare cost to that. And there's um, significant economic impacts to that as well. And probably if we think that it costs about 1800 pounds to, to raise a dairy heifer to first calving, um, uh, that's the sort of cost of the business. And we don't get payback on that fully till somewhere well into their second lactation, towards the end of the second lactation, most likely, then there's some real challenges there that we've got to, to face up to. So lots of efficiencies. And that, what I find is really interesting with this is, is that it does come back very, very much to how they perform in those first few weeks of life, uh, which brings us right back to colostrum and why it's so important and, and maintaining health and productivity of those calves in those early early weeks. Uh, even if we uh, get the health and nutrition of them better in the sort of subsequent eight weeks, uh, between weeks eight and 16, and as they go through the heifer rearing, it's almost like what is happening in those very, very early days uh, really sets the course for that heifer's life, uh, whether she's going to have a long and productive life in the herd and how they then go on perform. So I guess that's some of the backgrounds really in terms of why my research is really important into colostrum, why we still need to learn more and why colostrum is absolutely central. And I know Katie will mention a few sort of key take home points on what to do on farm around that later on. Um, thanks, Colin. That's really fascinating. So it's clear from what you're saying um, that calf research and developing an understanding of calf health uh, and the development uh, and requirements is still absolutely central to a thriving dairy industry. Um, David, can you tell us um, about about your current projects and what practical applications there are coming out of those projects for people at the coalface? Yep. So the first project really contains our social science element, and that was where we were interviewing the calf producers, so essentially the dairy farmers and the calf rearers. And what we were trying to do is really engage with these stakeholders and see how they market and select calves. And we also wanted to know like what information about these calves was transferring between each of the stakeholders, if any. In terms of the dairy or the calf producers, we were also wanting to know what information they could provide without any additional major work to them, but also for the calf rearers, what information would they love to be able to get a hold of? So some of the main points that were coming out of this uh, project were the key elements of establishing a relationship between the calf producer and the calf rearer is really essential. Having that honest and open talk or discussion is really vital. That then led on to the idea of communication Again, having this open and honest relationship, being able to tell the calf rearer, okay, don't select this calf this week. It's had scour. Maybe leave that for another couple of weeks. The calf producers also saw reputation 
has been quite critical. They didn't want to be seen as the dairy farm that was known to produce calves that were ill-thriven, that always performed poorly on certain calf rearing units. The calf rearers themselves, they were really interested in getting quite focused on genetics of these calves. Some of them were even going to the point where they were actually asking the dairy farmers if they could inseminate their cows with specific bulls that they could then take back to their unit because they knew that these calves performed extremely well on their system. The last thing that came out of this study was the whole terminology surrounding these calves. A lot of people did not like the fact that these calves were called surplus calves. They felt that was quite a negative connotation about these animals and these animals actually had quite an important value to the calf rearer and to the calf producers. So as a second part to that study, we carried out a small feasibility study where we were trying to look at these calves when they arrived at the calf rearing unit and essentially trying to see if we could group them in a certain way that we could improve their health and performance. What we did for this study, we lung ultrasound scanned these calves when they arrived at the rearing unit. So these calves were scored on a scale of zero to five, where zero is a normal aerated lung and five being an extremely consolidated lung. We then grouped these calves and that was either based on the lung ultrasound scan score or the farm that they came from. We tried to keep some of these calves grouped together that came from the same home. What we found was actually quite an eye-opener, to be honest. On arrival, over 60% of these calves were showing signs of consolidation. So they were, had a lung score of three and above, which was not what we were expecting. In terms of grouping, what we also found was that the calves that were grouped together and originated from the same source farm actually performed extremely well compared to the other groups. So how we grouped these calves were high health, which was calves essentially of a low lung score, low health, which is calves of an extremely high lung score, a mixed pen, which was a 50-50 mix of high and low lung score calves, and an intermediate calf, which was of a lung score two. Okay, so, so it's crazy that so many of these young animals have so much lung damage. Ali, can you tell us a little bit about what you've been doing in the lab? Yes, I can, Alison. Thank you. Um, I suppose while Steve and his team have been looking at the physical damage to these calves that some of the bugs um, about farms can cause, we are sort of taking a step back in the process and looking at the colostrum that gives these calves immunity to these bugs in the first few weeks of life and how to get the best possible quality colostrum into these calves. So it's a critical control point study. We are looking at colostrum cleanliness, how dirty, how many bugs there are in that colostrum. And we're also looking at the antibody content of that colostrum. And we're looking at it all the way from the point of harvest 
to the point at which it's getting fed to these these calves. And we're trying to answer questions like, where does this colostrum get dirty? Where's the most contamination happening? Um, and how do we maintain good quality colostrum through this process? What are the risk factors? We're also looking at mycoplasma in colostrum. And this is a bug that potentially could be causing some of the damage that David's team are, are seeing on the scan. This project is, is funded by the Hannah Dairy Research Foundation, and we're really grateful for their support um, once again. So what, what are we actually doing? Well, we're taking sequential colostrum samples, and this involves taking sequential samples of the colostrum from the, directly from the cow's teat, um, from the dump bucket, any second, third, fourth or fifth storage bucket that that colostrum goes through and then from the feeders. We're, we're really lucky down here to have a tremendous bunch of commercial dairy farmers so when I start a conversation of I've got a new project and I need help with and could, could you do this for me? Their response there's usually an eye roll and then it's followed by endless amounts of colostrum calves to test or sample and um, they're great they're really enthusiastic about getting involved and that helps us so much um, this project is involving some of the farmers from Galloway vets as well so we're we're expanding our sort of um, reach reach there so we've gathered all these colostrum samples and yes we're at the lab work stage of, of the project and there's some good results beginning to trickle through and hopefully it'll be completed towards the end of, of the year. We're, we're seeing a huge variation in antibody concentration. Um, there is some samples coming in as low as sort of seven on the BRICS refractometer. Um, and the mean at the moment is actually sitting just below the mean of the whole study of BRICS concentration sitting just below the desired 22%. So that says something about the quality um, that, that, is, that is coming through. And yet yeah, the cleanliness is a huge range there. We're looking at um, specific bacteria called coliforms, and that's basically usually associated with, with feces and fecal contamination in this situation. And we're also looking at total bacterial count. So that's all sorts of bacteria that's in there. And we're getting some up at 19 million and 151 million. So there's some huge counts going on, going on there. As I alluded to earlier, there's a second arm to this study, um, and that's involving kind of mycoplasma in colostrum. And I'll hand over to Colin to take you through that and have a little bit of chat. So the, my the mycoplasma bovis story is quite an interesting one. Um, uh, we've... I think all of us involved with rearing calves uh, have got an interest in this particular pathogen uh, as a, a cause of respiratory disease in young calves, which is how it most commonly presents. Um, and if you go to the literature, um, you know, one of the sources of this organism from cows to calves um, is, is through milk cow's milk and also colostrum so so one of the thinkings right from the start potentially is is, is that um if you're going to bring mycoplasma bovis into a calf house and into a calf population it's it's going to come through the the colostrum and the milk as a, a source of infection and, and once a calf uh gets infected then 
potentially it can go on either to develop disease or um, be a source of infection to others. And, and we know also that, that once Mycoplasma bovis gets into a group of calves, it will spread really nicely amongst calves, um, either directly by, by coughing it out or by indirectly through, through milk feeding equipment, potentially. So it's a really interesting area um, and, it, and it helps maybe tailor our, our advice on what we do and what we say about how we control this pathogen as well. Um, uh, we've had the um, ability um, through a, a colleague's PhD study, Jessica Allen Hughes has been doing a PhD for the last three years looking at the prevalence of mycoplasma bovis in the Scottish dairy herd. Um, and and some of the headline figures from that is, is that uh, 86% percent of farms based on bulk tank testing have evidence of infection on those farms at some point uh, during the study. Uh, so key take-home message is it's a pretty common disease. Uh, and also when you look at calf populations, then 58% of calf groups that were sampled uh, showed evidence of active infection as well. So two key really take-home messages there were that, that it's common, it's really, really common in, in Scottish dairy calves and in Scottish dairy herds, which is what we would expect. Uh, um, the thing that's perhaps interesting um, is that the initial results from this study have shown that uh, when we, we do testing for Mycoplasma bovis itself in the colostrum, looking for the, uh, the organism itself, we've not found any. Um, uh, which is actually quite a good news story. Um, uh, and we need to confirm all the results finally and, and, and get a sort of final answer to all of this. But the initial findings are is, is, is that perhaps colostrum and milk itself is not the primary infection route for Mycoplasma bovis coming into calf populations. And I would expect that probably more of the focus is, is on minimizing calf to calf spread or uh, spread through milk feeding utensils and that sort of thing. Um, so there's some preliminary findings coming there. I think the other thing that's to stress as well is, is, is that even if we think that colostrum and milk maybe is slightly less of an issue as far as mycoplasma bovis is concerned, um, uh, then that's not a reason to be uh, dropping our standards in terms of colostrum management because you know any of the hygienic um, approaches that we have to colostrum and managing colostrum that Ali's talked about uh, are going to be really, really, really important for uh, controlling the whole range of diseases that occur. Right. Wow. So there's clearly lots going on. Katie, bring us back to the day-to-day -day reality of what some of this research means and the impact. Yeah, thanks, Alison. I think it is, you know, a lot of our research is very aimed at sort of grassroots on-farm change and precipitating change for the calf rearers. Um, we talk a lot about the three cues of colostrum management. So what needs to happen for the newborn calf to uh, become immune is that the, that the calf needs to receive 10 to 15% of its body weight. In, so that's quickly... Um, within the first six to 12 hours of life. And the colostrum needs to be high quality. Um, so the quality measures um, Ali's already mentioned are antibody concentration and bacterial contamination. 
The other cue is quickly, and I've already said the, the calf needs to receive colostrum ideally within the first six hours of life, um, and that the quantity needs to be right. So if you have a 40-kilo dairy calf, that looks like about four to six liters of colostrum. And there's another two more nebulous um, cues that people talk about, which is that colostrum needs to be delivered quietly, uh, so not stressing the animal out, and that it needs to be squeaky clean, which is not, in my mind, a cue, and is also covered, I think, in the quality um, stuff that we've been mentioning, because people generally think of colostrum quality as being just antibody concentration, but it's becoming increasingly clear that the bugs or the bacteria in the colostrum are at least um, of equal importance as that. Um, because what happens is the bugs block antibody absorption at the gut level. So that that's the really the crux of what um, calf rearers need to be doing in Scotland in terms of getting their colostrum management right. And the reason that um, it it doesn't happen so well is because in real life, calf rearers have a lot of things to do. They're really busy. And focusing on colostrum management often is not um, as big of a focus as it should be. So what people tend to do is they leave uh, colostrum sitting in a bucket for a prolonged period of time. And that means that the bacteria counts go through the roof or they get busy and they don't collect the colostrum as quickly as they should from the cow. Um, so that means that the antibody concentrations are compromised. And so it's really just bringing back the focus for people on these three cues and these other two two cues that we've talked about. So, yeah, really important to to mention that it's not new stuff, but it's it isn't done particularly well uh all the time. So we still keep banging the same drum. We've got new research coming out, but we really need to focus people back on the basics so that these calves are getting enough antibody into their bloodstreams from the colostrum that they're fed. And it's probably worth mentioning also that the, the ruminant setup is, is a really odd one in that what happens is the, the calf is born like a clean slate and that's because the ruminant placenta is impermeable to antibodies, which means that the, the calf needs to ingest this colostrum really early in the piece. So the gut, there's sort of these channels in the gut that, that close over time. And it's really important that the calf gets colostrum in a timely manner, because if you delay feeding, what happens is the gut channels close and antibodies won't be absorbed into the calf's bloodstream. And then you end up with all the problems that Colin's already mentioned, like calfhood uh, disease, uh, diarrhea and respiratory disease, and also poor growth rates, poor conception rates, and poor first lactation milk yields. So yeah, getting the basics right is, is super important. 
oh, Katie, can I just muscle in there a little bit and put my clinical vet hat on? And if we're going full hog with the cues, we probably should include quantification. What do I mean by that? I mean, we need to check up what we're doing and that we're doing it right. So we need to be measuring our colostrum quality. Um, there's lots of ways which we can be doing that. And we also need to be asking the calves. We need to be quantifying that they're getting um, enough enough immunity and that can involve um, simple blood tests at looking at their antibody levels. Okay. As Colin mentioned earlier, 16% of heifers are leaving the herd by the first or second lactation and recent research has shown that one in seven calves suffering from FPT and all the consequences. So why is it so hard to get all this right? I think it's, as Katie alluded to, Calf rears are, are really busy people, and calf rearing is a uh, it's a skilled and really specific job. Um, and it's probably really only in recent years that the correct credit and emphasis is going onto this job on farm. It's it's just blooming tough to carry out consistently well, and these calves are the building blocks of of the future herd. I also think human behaviour comes into it a little bit. Sometimes we know what we should be doing, but we naturally look for an easy way um, and corners corners can can be cut. And sometimes it is a knowledge thing. There's a new member of staff and the knowledge transfer just, just hasn't hasn't happened. Um so yes, there's lots and lots of improvement and often these improvements, which is the really nice thing about a lot of the recommendations is there don't require huge amounts of investment. They're low hanging fruit and, and things can be done simply um, to, to turn things around. OK, right. Thank you very much, everybody. Um, let's just circle back. Um, and if I could ask you, what are the key take home messages for our listeners? David? I'd say the key take home message from our study would be to communicate as much as possible. So the dairy farm would be as open and honest with the calf rearer or whoever's taking your calves. These calves are still of value. And I think that awareness of this value is starting to increase. And finally, something that would probably sum up everything that's been said today is if you look after them at the start, they'll look after you. Colin. Really focusing on colostrum. Colostrum is absolutely central to how a calf is firstly going to survive, live and perform and and the, the health status of that calf in the first eight to ten weeks of life uh, whilst it's on milk. And it's really fascinating that that those early weeks of life really set the course for how that cow will perform in, in later life. So we, we know that those early life changes uh, and those early life successes really set the course for uh, how that heifer will firstly grow, when she'll calve, uh, how she'll perform in her first lactation, and hopefully then recarve again into a second, third and subsequent lactations thereafter. Um, and getting it right from the start is really, really important. Uh, Katie? I think um, those are really excellent take-homes. And I'd just like to add that there's probably a lot of 
basic things that could be done better on farm. Ali's already said that, you know, this is low-hanging fruit. A lot of the changes that can be made are are quite cost-effective. And it's just attention to detail and trying to get the basics right, which will make all the difference to promoting excellent colostrum management at the calf level. And I think the the people aspect of that is so important. So, you know, really getting people motivated to make small changes to the way that they do things, which could make all the difference to their calves' health and performance. Thank you, Katie. Ali? I think everyone has summarised that all so well. Um, I'm excited for the final results from all these projects. And I think the discussion here today has just proven that calf health and research around colostrum and the rearing period, I think it's going to go on for years and decades still. Thank you very much, Ali. And and thank you to um, the rest of our contributors, Katie, Colin and David too. Uh, And thank you to um, you guys for listening. I hope you found it helpful.